Thanks for listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. If you're in the Orlando area, we hope you're able to join us for one of our services. Please check out faithassembly.org for more information or follow us on social media at faithORL. We hope this message will be an inspiration to help you find all that God has for your life. Enjoy the message. It's my privilege tonight to introduce, first of all, let me just say thank you for being out for First Wednesday. Come on, you can do better than that. It's First Wednesday. We just get, we just get a little dose of revival every first Wednesday around here. I'm so glad that you came out. Anybody that's joining us on a screen somewhere, oh, it just means so much that you're taking part in this service. We look forward to you, for, we look forward to you being able to be here in person, hopefully sometime soon. But uh, tonight is going to be an incredibly special night, and it's my honor and privilege to introduce our guest speaker tonight. Um, Pastor James Powell, his wife Brittany is here as well, and, and some of the team from uh, Southeast University. But, um, but they are uh, campus pastors at uh, Southeastern University, been there this year, and uh, I, I have a I've had a relationship with Pastor James for uh, several years, but uh, it's certainly gotten a lot more uh, closer here in this last uh, eight or nine months. And I'm going to tell you, I have an inside uh, track kind of on what God's using them to do at Southeastern University. And they are a couple uh, that loves the church. They are a couple with a pastor's heart, really loves the Lord, lives life with a um, great level of integrity. And uh, we are honored to have tonight Pastor James Powell. Would you give him a great faith assembly welcome? As he comes, Pastor James. Oh, come on, point that honor to heaven for a second. And can we give God a shout in this place? I believe that he is a way maker. I know that he is a promise keeper. Oh, come on, would you take about 30 seconds and give him the praise that he's due? Like he is a good God. Like he picked you up when everybody else left. I, I, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, if you don't already know, I came with excitement and expectation tonight. I, I feel like somebody that's drank 27 Red Bulls at this point. So sit down, sit down. The timer started. You got to sit down. Um, my name is James and, and my, my lovely wife is here. I am the husband to one, the father to two. want to make sure you heard that the right way. Husband of one, father to two. Uh, we have two amazing boys. We have Braxton, who's eight years old. He thinks he's 18. Uh, it, yeah, pray for me. Uh, we have Grayson, who's five, and he loves Bakugan and Power Rangers at this stage in life. All right, we, we got a whole fan section for Power Rangers. Uh, but you know, uh, before, before I dive in, I just need to take a moment. Um, it is not abnormal for a, a guest speaker to honor the leader of the house, but I need you to lean in for a few moments and understand that what I'm about to say is not trite, it's not a preamble, it's not a prequel, that you are blessed with what I believe is one of the greatest pastors in America. I believe that. I say that not only because of his giftedness, that while I was a, a youth camper, in Alabama, he would come in and he was the evangelist. Uh, we may look like we're near in age, but we're not. Uh, then I would 
then I would later youth pastor and I would take kids to listen to Pastor Johnny Wilson come in and preach the good news about Jesus. But what I've also got to learn over the last year is that he is a man committed to character, that he is a person of integrity, that he loves his wife and he parents his kids well. I'm thankful for somebody in this day and age that can stand the test of time. He's been faithful. Faithfulness still wins. So I honor you. You are a pastor's pastor. You are a leader. And I'm so thankful for the impact and influence that you have on my family's life. Thank you so much. I do have to tell you guys that I am Pentecostal to the core. And if you stay up there on those keys, I will preach straight through tomorrow morning. All right? So, no, don't, they, they said amen. They don't mean it. They don't want to have breakfast here, all right? Um, but I, I, I do honor your pastors. And while we have been online attenders, your online attendance may have dropped a little tonight because we online attend often at Faith. Uh, we live in Lakeland, Florida. So yeah, that's right. We traveled internationally to get here tonight. Uh, it was about two and a half hours, you know, on, on the road there. Uh, I've never uh, been so thankful for the sun pass, you know. It's like, yeah, I just pass people and wave. God bless you. I wish you were out here with me, right? But being on site, I was able to recognize and attest to something that I perceived online, which this is such a beautiful picture of what heaven's gonna look like. I'm thankful for a church that's planted right here in the heart of Orlando that is multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multicultural, that it looks like heaven, that I don't have to wait to heaven to see what the kingdom wants to do. I just look around this room, I just walk these hallways, and I can see heaven on earth. And so it's awesome to be a part of this. Well, my wife and I, we've been married just over a decade, just over a decade, and she's still training me. Um, for those of you who are married, uh, be careful how you respond in the next few moments. You may have to Uber home, all right? Uh, but my wife, she's, she's been teaching me. I'm learning lessons. I was thinking this week about the lessons that I've learned along the way. Uh, she is such an incredible teacher. I, I, I learned around year number five that when my wife would say things to me like, Hey, babe, this year, let's don't even do gifts. That that was a lie. No, no, no. I have learned since year five to buy gifts for all occasions, stash them away in secret places around the house. So just in case I forgot a holiday like Flag Day, that if she wants to exchange gifts, I'm fully prepared. So I've been feeling like I was really doing good. We crossed the decade mark. I was, I was getting all A's. I mean, it was great. I was graduating from glory to glory in our marriage. It was awesome. But then I learned a new lesson. I learned that there was a, a trick, a test, uh, an encouragement, if you will, that I had been falling short of for years, and, and I recently recognized. It was this. It was every once in a while, we would plan a date night, okay? And we would plan a date night, and we would prepare to go and get dressed up and go out. And, but what would happen is life gets busy, and you start doing a lot of stuff, and the kids are kids, and you want to just bless them, amen? Um, and so we would always have this conversation. My wife would go, oh, babe, do you want to just order Buffalo Wild Wings and stay in? And I would always say, man, okay, I love y'all. This is awesome. So I wasn't crazy. But what I failed to realize is what she really wanted me to say is, no. We're we going out. <laughs> no, let's get dressed. <laughs> so, so I had the opportunity. Can I just testify for a moment? I had the opportunity to pass the test this last week. 
This last week on Saturday, there was crazy weather. Um, now, I'm not from Florida, so everything that sounds and looks like a hurricane is a hurricane to me, right? I am ready to evacuate at any moment. <laughs> I, I want to wear a life vest just in case. <laughs> But on Saturday, I mean, it was raining, it was storming, and she came into the room and she said, hey, babe, the weather's crazy. Do you want to just stay? I said, no. No, 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 no. All right, got my outfit out. Already been on Open Table. Uh, do you guys know this app, Open Table? Hey, all the men in the room, you may not take notes on anything else, but let me put you onto this, all right? Open Table is an app, okay? Open Table will allow me to know the open tables at the restaurants in the city I want to go to. And because I live in Lakeland, I travel outside of Lakeland to go on dates because <laughs> um, we like indoor plumbing. But I... Just kidding. Please don't tell anybody I said that, all right? But, but I can go on open table and I can make a reservation. So I said, babe, no, you don't understand. Go look at your calendar because I already went on the app. I've already made a reservation. I got my nice pants out. I got a shirt that looks like it was ironed. I threw it in the dryer. And I am ready to go. What I realized about my wife was this, that there was something about the planning and preparation, something about the reservation that meant something to her. I say that to you, tonight's not going to be about marriage and relationships. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. But what I do believe is important about that is that I believe that there is a table of your life that already has a reservation on it. That there's already been a reservation. See, I made the reservation, but for her it was just an invitation. And so tonight, the title of the message is simply this, Open Table open table. I want us to take a couple of moments and look at what does Jesus do when he is presented with an open table. I, I want to go to the second half of the scriptures. I'm going to go into the book of Mark. The gospels in the second half of scripture are known as Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Mark, we believe that who penned that was John Mark. And, and John Mark, when he pens the gospel, when he tells us the story of Jesus' birth, he tells us about the miracles, he, he tells us all about Jesus' life. When he's doing this, there's a thematic analogy that keeps emerging. And with Mark, it's very intentional. He is letting them know a new king is on the scene. A new king is on the scene. To see, we have to understand the cultural context to really embrace what John Mark wanted us to know. At this day and age, there was a Roman government who was not only oppressive, but they had occupied the area. And so they were making sure that they not only put people out and put people down, but the Jewish people were marginalized. And here they have, for hundreds of years, been awaiting a Messiah. Now, we hear Messiah in this day and age, and when we hear that, we immediately draw analogy and a dotted line to Jesus. But a Messiah was this, the one who would come and redeem, the one who would come and restore, the one who would liberate and, and take off the yoke of the oppressor. And so when John Mark writes this beautiful gospel, he is letting us know that there is a suffering, redeeming, restoring, and powerful king. He didn't come like you expected him to. He doesn't look like you thought he would. He doesn't lead like you think he should, but that's my king. And so tonight when we journey together into the gospel of Mark, I wanna jump into Mark chapter two. Would it be okay if I just give you a little bit of background? Sometimes when we jump into the scriptures, I feel like what we do is we interject and ask people to jump into episode three of season four. <laughs> You're like, hold on a second. Who is this? You didn't even tell me about this character. I love them, 
right? All right, so let me give you a little background. Mark chapter two starts off with this announcement that Jesus is in a house and the house is so packed. Everybody say so packed. Oh, come on, all the way in the back. Say so packed. So it's so packed that nobody else can get in, but there's four individuals who see a paralyzed man and they decide to take him to Jesus. They rip off part of the roof. They lower him to Jesus and Jesus does what only Jesus could do. He heals the man and then he forgives his sins. Sometimes if we're not careful, we'll make the four people the hero of the story. But the only person with power was my king. And so my king forgives the sins and he heals the lame man and he walks out. But when he does, it says that the teachers of the law and the scribes were upset about what Jesus did because they did not recognize the authority that he had. If I'm not careful, I will put Jesus into my own box, in my own cultural context in this day and age, and I will strip him of both his assignment and his authority. What would it look for you and I tonight to engage with the scriptures with a fresh lens? Maybe you've read the Bible through 37 times, but you've missed the fact that your king wants a seat at your table. And so in Mark chapter two, something interesting is taking place. I wanna go to Mark chapter two into verse 13. It says this, once again, Jesus went out beside the lake. Oh, I, I always just get a little bit excited right there. I, I always feel like that's God's way of saying, James, if you ever have a desire to buy a boat and to live near a lake, I'll bless that. Uh, my wife has not come into agreement with me yet on that one. Um, but it says this, a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. Well, let's pause for a moment. And let's recognize what is Jesus teaching? Jesus is teaching that there is freedom from the oppression of not only the Roman Empire. They kept trying to make it look political, but Jesus said, I'm more powerful than the politics. Oh, that's a good chance to amen. That Jesus was, can I just venture into a little bit of territory that may feel tense? Jesus was more powerful than politics. Jesus is more powerful than politics. Jesus will forever be. So Jesus is teaching them. He is teaching them not only are you free from oppression from humanity, but there is an enemy of your soul that wants to trap you, and he does so in this way of enticement called sin. Now, I realize that there are all different people who are joining us here at Faith on this first Wednesday, and you may be here, and you're like the JBQ, Junior Bible Quiz Champion of 1987, right? You're like, I actually know the Greek and Hebrew of all of these verses, right? Or maybe you're here and you're kicking the tires of faith. For all of us, though, we all need to recognize that we all have a propensity to sin. You want me to prove it? All right, real quick. Everybody do this real quick. If you got a pulse, say amen. amen. I promise you, he did not say amen. Check and make sure he's got a pulse, all right? You good? Okay, you're good, all right. If you got a pulse, then you have a propensity to sin, not because you're bad, because you're human. And so Jesus shows up and he begins to teach them, yes, your humanity is at war, and it's been enticed or tempted into sin. Sin is simply this, a missing of the mark of God's best for my life. Oh, it's not only the sin of commission, doing things I shouldn't do. It could also be the sin of omission, not doing what he's commanded me to. Amen or oh me. I, I, I think that when Jesus is saying this, the large crowd is gathered because they saw the miracles, but now they need to hear the message. And the message was this, is that freedom has come 
to you. All right, I need to go on. It says this, as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Now see, the fact that you didn't go, I can't believe he said that in church, means we don't understand the cultural context of what a tax collector's booth is. This is not the IRS. This is not your friendly accountant. The tax collector was one of the most notorious bad dudes to walk around Capernaum. I mean, this guy was no good. Let me prove it to you. He wasn't just a Roman Empire person. He was actually a Jewish person. But he was working on behalf of the oppressor to oppress his own people. Oh, this is like the original inside man. See, he's been given the task to put taxes and burdens on his own people on behalf of the Roman government. What we know culturally and through context, through history, is that this tax collector wouldn't have just carried out the law and taxed them on behalf of the Roman Empire, but he had to put a little bit on it for himself. It was just cultural norm to say, oh, well, if they're getting theirs, I'm going to get mine. And so here, Jesus walks beside the tax collector's booth. I love the proximity that Jesus has to sin, that he's not scared of it, that he can walk by. He walks by, sees Levi, son of Alphaeus, and says, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. In verse 15, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, which I think this is ironic because Jesus says, follow me, and then follows him to his own house. And, and the reason is, if you go back to the original language, is he's not actually saying, follow me, as in hide and seek, or Simon says, we've been Jesus says, but he's not playing that game. He's saying, dwell with me. Have relationship with me. Be with me and allow me to be with you. You see me in all that I am and allow me to see all that you are. So Jesus is having dinner at Levi's house. Many tax collectors ooh, and sinners were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And in verse 16, when the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This is an indictment. This is, this is not in here so that you and I can understand just the graciousness of our king. It's also so we can understand the indictment that humanity had against our king. They were saying, look at him. He's been teaching all of this. He's been freeing all these people. But now look, he's not who he said he was. Oh, that's not who you thought he was. Look, he's hanging out with them. Oh, I'm thankful that my king will take the indictment and still associate with me at my lowest, at my most broken, at my most human. He still says, that's my son, and he's still my king. So he's, he, he's eating with them. Why, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? In verse 17, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I want to pray and invite God's power into these passages. God, we thank you that you are here, that you are making a way where there seems to be no way. I'm thankful that right now in the midst of this message, God, that you're healing minds and bodies, restoring relationships. I thank you that there are people online right now that you're dealing with their hearts, that you're breaking chains of addiction, that that's who you are, and we can put our trust in that. I ask God that there would be an addition of oil to this word tonight. 
I ask God that you would continue to keep your promise that your word would never return back void, but it would accomplish all that it says all to do. So we cooperate and we do our part by revealing the soil tonight. We reveal it and we ask that the seed of your word would take root in our hearts and that we would walk out tonight different than we arrived. We thank you for it. In the name above every name, in the name of our hope and liberating king, in Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 I wanna give you three quick points tonight about why I think that Jesus is looking for an open table. I believe he's not looking for a special table. He's simply looking for an available table. The first point is simply this. Jesus sees people, not just their problems. Oh, some of you are like, James, I could have stayed home and known that. Like, he sees people, not just their problems, but, but it's important for us to recognize that what everybody else sees as my identity is sometimes just what I did, but it's not who I am. Oh, let me tell you for a moment that other people may know what you did. Well, they may know what you did on Friday, on Saturday, on Sunday, but the only one who gets to name you is the one who made you, and he still calls you son and daughter. Jesus walks beside the tax collector's booth and he sees Levi, son of Alphaeus, and his first words of response are, follow me, dwell with me. I've made a reservation and here is my invitation. I, I, I think about it when I was, when I was growing up, uh, I, I was a perfect child. Um, I say that mostly because my parents aren't here to attest or testify that I wasn't. And so uh, I was perfect. I never did anything wrong. But if I had done something wrong, like broken something in the house, uh, every once in a while, if you mess up as a kid and maybe you broke a vase or you dinged a TV, none of the things I ever did. But if you did that, you may hear something like, shame on, oh my goodness, same house. Okay. You hear shame on. It's kind of just like the cultural response. Isn't it interesting that shame has a language that connects you to your past? Shame's always about what you did, never about what you'll do. There's shame on you. And my wife, she's helped me so much as we desire to parent not boys but raise men. She's helped me get a language of grace and remove a language of shame because shame will always reframe someone's pain. Oh, I doubt that Levi growing up was like, man, I can't wait to rip people off. I can't wait to be a thief and an oppressor. But somewhere along the way, something shifted in his career and his identity. And now he's stuck at a tax collector's booth and everybody in the city knows that he's a notorious sinner. And Jesus walks by him and says, follow me. About a year ago, my wife and I, we decided to take our two boys Braxton and Grayson, we decided to take them on vacation and we took them to where? Las Vegas. <laughs> because it's pretty cheap if you take kids. <laughs> they just go by the pool and they eat lots of candy. It's amazing, right? But there's one exhibit, which is really the reason that we went and it was the Marvel exhibit. It was the Avengers and my kids love superheroes. I got an amen over there again. Come on. You can babysit anytime <laughs> for free. Um, so we, we decided to go to this Marvel Avengers exhibit because there's like Iron Man and Hulk and uh, all the other people that you don't know are actually superheroes. Um, but all of them are going to be there. And we're waiting in line. And my five-year-old now was four then. And, and four-year-olds, I don't know if you know this, but four-year-olds get very impatient. <laughs> right? 
And it's weird because I can tell them to be patient, but it doesn't make them more patient. No, it just makes them more like, why do I need to be patient? Let's just go. Right. And, and I've, I'm trying to negotiate a little bit with my four year old. And I'm like, hey, buddy, we're almost there. Just take a moment. And out of nowhere, a woman behind my wife and I decides to interject and co-parent my child. <laughs> oh, it was right. In that moment, I thought, if I just swiftly turn to pray, I can go in Jesus name. <laughs> just pray. Oh, so sorry. Just want to lay hands on you right now in the name of the Father, the Son. Get out of my business. Amen. All right. I didn't do that. I promise. No, I didn't. But, but I wanted to. Because here's why. She interjected and she says this to my four-year-old. She said, babe, you better be good or they're going to come get you. No, they're not. I'm going to tell Iron Man. But she's like, you, you, better, you better act right. They're going to get you in. She begins this language of fear and shame. My heart was arrested. I felt protective and a little bit passionate. But in that moment, it's like I clued in and I realized that the enemy often used the same language and vocabulary in my own life. That at the moments that my humanity arises, instead of listening to the voice of a father, which is a vocabulary of grace and holiness and redemption and restoration, the enemy will say, you better watch out. You better let fear spike. Shame on you. But Jesus doesn't do that to Levi. He walks by and says, shame off you. Shame off of everything you ever done. Everybody who ever said you were a thief. Everybody who knows you for what you did. Shame off you and come and follow me. Listen why that's good news for you tonight. Because I don't know what you did yesterday. I don't know what you'll do tomorrow. But listen to me testify. Shame off you. I don't care what you did. Who you did it with. Greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world grace on you mercy on you man you ought to just tap your neighbor one time and say grace on you grace on you grace on you Jesus says shame off you come and follow me come and follow me but, but follow me to your house so I can go to your table <laughs> come and dwell with me come we already know that a large crowd was following Jesus, so they're recognizing what's taking place. But I can't begin to wonder what happened when they saw the tax collector get up from his seat. Why? Because when he does that, they know that something shifted. I want you to write it this way in your notes, if you're taking notes, that Jesus sets a big table. He sets a big table, why? Why does Jesus set a big table? Oh, because it wasn't just for Levi. Oh, it's not just for me. Oh, no, no, no. It's about the people who, are, who know where I've been, who know what I've done. I say, hold on, if he can do it, for you. On that same trip, I was having a, a course correction conversation with my uh, seven-year-old at the time, Braxton. I knelt down, I looked at him, and I said, son, why does dad correct you? And he said, because you love me. Oh, he had a theological understanding that I didn't even have in the moment. See, because Jesus says, come and follow me. What would have been a disservice to Levi is for him to pass by and go, hey, Levi, I love you. 
I'm the king. Uh, you just keep on stealing from people and oppressing people. No, it's okay. No, I know you had a hard life. No, I know your background's full of pain. No, I know this, is, this isn't your fault. It's fine. No, you just, you keep on doing it. I'm going to go, no, because love doesn't leave me there. Oh, no, listen, listen, get ready. You're going to go grace on you again. Go grace on you. Don't, no, 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 this is a shame. This is grace. See, shame wants to stick me in the spot, but grace wants to pull me out. So when he said, follow me, he's also saying, you got to leave that and come on. So Jesus sets a big enough table, not just for you, but for all the people who participated in the thing you did, that now they go, you got some grace? I want some of that too. Point number two, simply this, he calls everyone to the same table. He calls everyone to the same table. It says in Mark chapter two and verse 15, we read it together. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many, everybody say many. Like it ain't just one. Like the whole crew. And we don't know what happened in the reservation of Levi's table. We don't know if Jesus called ahead, if he's announcing it. We, we don't know if Levi had a pre-planned party. But what we know is a bunch of people who were doing a lot of wrong have showed up. And it's not just tax collectors. It's tax collectors and sinners. They were eating with him and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I, I begin to think about this. How many people were sitting around the table? I mean, there's so many different people in this moment. You think about the big table that set. It says many, many tax collectors, sinners, and disciples. Many followed him, which also begs the question, like, how big was Levi's house? Like, I, it's not really a sermon point. I got no theology for it. But that's a lot of people. And Jesus sits down with them. All of them. I love that it's at a table. There's two types of tables we see Jesus interact with. This is one of the first ones in Mark. Later in Mark, we see that Jesus enters the temple. He doesn't sit at tables. He chooses to flip them. The reason he flips them is because people are trying to create barriers and blockades between God and his people. And Jesus said, anytime something gets in the way of the Father and his creation, I'm gonna flip it. I clap and I cry. Because how many things in my life have been blockades and barriers that Jesus wants to flip? He sits with many people. I love what it says. Can I read it to you in the, the ESV? It's the ESV, is that okay? If it's not okay, just email me at Pastor Johnny at Faith Assembly. <laughs> this is what it says in this one. It said, and as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. I love the posture of this. I'm telling you, I'm just blown away sometimes by the details of scriptures. They're not sitting there like, oh, what, what's gonna happen? <laughs> Do I use this fork outside in, this cup, that cup? Jesus is here, everybody. Like, you know, act right. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> oh my, you. <laughs> yeah. Since they were reclining. Pastor Johnny, I, I, I read this. And I'm blown away because I just see Levi like big chilling. <laughs> He's just chilling like this. Jesus is there. Like, what's up, man? And then, and then all the other tax collectors are reclining. And James, well, what are you making a big deal about the posture? Because I love that Jesus 
was so close. He, he was in proximity enough for it to be powerful. That he was close enough to go, I, I see you. I love you. And something inside of them rested and reclined and said, oh, this is the one we've been waiting for. This is the one we've been looking for. Oh, I've been so tied up and messed up with everything going on. But he's here. Many, many of them. I, I also wonder in that moment what it was like, because I, I can't help but dive into the different scenarios. There's so many groups of people here. It's not just Levi. Who Levi's, man, he's stoked, right? He's like, I'm about to be one of the inside guys. You know, this is great. And then you got the people who can't believe it. Like, Levi, you pick Levi? I mean, I'll, me too, right? But then there's the disciples there. And I wonder, there's this one loudmouth disciple. His name was, okay, okay, yeah. It wasn't John, okay, Peter. But I wonder in that moment when, when Peter shows up to Levi's house, because see, Peter would have known about Levi too. Oh, Peter, Peter would have been like, oh, remember that time we got that big haul of fish? We pulled him in. That's the bum that like ripped me off, took my money. But Jesus puts him at the same table. Oh, isn't that the kingdom of God? That there's level ground? That humanity is different but equal? I love that Jesus doesn't allow them to juxtapose their sin against each other. Why? Because don't forget, loudmouth Peter was a sinner too. Oh, he was, a, he was a water walker at one point. But before he walked on water, he said, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. I love that Jesus just draws close. It's important for you and I. Because sin always wants to make us run and hide. It's been the narrative since the first book of the Bible in Genesis. That when we sin and feel shame, we run and hide. But I love that God in all of his plans said, I'll send somebody that will seek and save even when you hide in shame. He sets a big table and he calls everyone there. I can't help but think of it in a church context and Pastor Johnny is able to clean up any mess I make in the next few moments. Don't amen, don't owe me, put it all on me. When I was growing up, my dad used to tell me, there's two types of people to be aware of in church. Oh, got real quiet. He said, the first one is, he said, son, always beware of people who stand up here, but they don't ever spend time with people out there. See, I, let me tell you why I can say it in, in this church with confidence, because I know your pastor. He's a pastor. He's a shepherd. My dad said, don't ever trust a shepherd that don't smell like sheep. But you got a shepherd that dwells among the sheep, that serves the sheep, that loves the sheep. He said, beware, son, because they'll forget that this is just to serve this. Now, y'all amen that. Y'all are like, yeah, man, people up there to hold that mic, they need to check themselves. Amen. So the second group of people that my dad said beware of were people who sit in there, but they don't never hang out with people out there. Oh, they love to clap in the seats, but they ain't sharing nothing in the streets. Oh, they serve on the usher team, but they ain't sharing their faith out there. Oh, they would wave this hand on Sunday and shake one finger on Monday. Not this one. 
we're going to keep it a buck, right? We're just keeping it real? You say, well, why does that matter? Because sometimes it's, it's like we're afraid. Like we think somehow sinful people are going to contaminate us. Like they're going to mess us up. Like, like somehow I'm going to get around sinful people and then, oh, I lost my Holy Spirit. <sighs> Can't even pray right. Person was cussing, lost everything, got no power. Can't even sing Waymaker now. It's bad. Let's think of it like this. Can I give you an illustration? Simple illustration of this. Have you ever used a bar of soap? These are kind of going outside, but anybody, uh, look, nobody in this section even knows what I'm talking about. Anybody here know what a bar of soap is? Thank you for testifying. Okay. You ever, you ever got your hands like real dirty? I'm talking about like, like, oh, I'm, this is awful, right? Like anybody who had babies, you know what I'm talking about? Like it exploded and you're like, I got, you. okay, here's my question. So you go to the bar of soap, sir, you waved at me. I, I'm talking to you now, just me and you because you waved at me. We friends now, we going out to lunch at some point, all right? All right, so you ever get your dirty hands and wash them with the bar of soap Dry your hands off and then go, oh my goodness, I forgot to clean my soap. And go get you some, some bottle soap and clean the bar of soap. You ever done that? No, you wanna know why you ain't done that? Because you don't get soap dirty. Cause soap's more powerful than the dirt. Oh, you ain't caught it yet. I'm trying to tell you what's on the inside of you. It's so much more powerful than the world around you. You ain't got to be worried about their sin getting on you. I'm worried that your spirit ain't getting on them. I wish you would walk by somebody and they would be messed up. And you would say, God bless you. God keep you. Make his face shine on you. You, you, go, you go, listen, listen, you don't know, man. I work with some jokers. Or maybe you're like, you're like, look, I don't want to point them out, but my family, they're messed up. I had to buy them dinner to get them to come tonight, right? No. I ain't driving you home. I bet they are. I bet they are broken and messed up. Because they got a pulse. If you got a pulse, you got problems. But if you got a pulse, you also got a purpose. And I got to know that if God put me on a job with some messed up jokers, he got me on assignment. He got me on mission. I'm ready. Okay, no, tell me about that. Oh, yeah, it's bad. Oh, she cheated on you? I ain't believing. Let's pray right now. No, I don't want to pray. No, we're going to pray. Give me your hand right now. God, we thank you that this trifling man who's been stepping out on his wife and complaining about her, God, you're going to redeem him. He's going to be a man of God. I thank you, the Holy Spirit, you're dealing with his heart. I pray every time he surfs that web page, every time he pulls up that, Instagram that you convict him God I think you say what he put me there so what's in me can get on them but I'm so worried oh no you know what it's not that I'm worried it's it reminds me reminds me that I used to be the same way but he saved me so I could save him. so if your bar of soap don't get dirty sir then the spirit in you needs to get out of you into other people. Point number three. Point number three, and I'm going to begin to close. He sees people, and he sees below the surface. Oh, he sees below the surface. Mark chapter 2 and verse 17, on hearing this, 
On hearing what? Let me, let me recap for you because I've done a lot of talking since we went to the text. The Pharisees and the scribes, I love that it gives you the irony of who's there because there were scribes and teachers of the law when Jesus healed the paralyzed man and they thought in their heart, he doesn't have the authority to forgive and Jesus addressed them. On this occasion, Jesus hears them running their mouths. Oh, sorry, he hears them talking bad about him. And Jesus looks at them. They're all, they're all around the table. First of all, Jesus has made a concerted effort on mission to be with Levi and all the people that showed up because Levi is following him. He's moved with compassion. Why? We know this because he was a good shepherd. We, we know that he came to seek and save that which was lost. And he's hearing people who had been proclaiming. See, 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 we forget. Scribes and the Pharisees, we have these cute phrases like, uh, if you grew up in church, maybe you know these from Sunday school, is uh, the Pharisees aren't fair, you see. <laughs> and the Sadducees are, okay, you, you, Sunday school, I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Doing a great job. It's a great shirt too. Okay. So Jesus is sitting here. And these aren't bad people, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're supposed to be the good people. They're supposed to be the people who are holding the laws. They're keeping hundreds of laws a day, but they're so convinced that their own morals, their own ethics, their own good works will get them back to God that they don't want Jesus reconnecting with people who need a savior. And Jesus responds, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. It's as if Jesus says, I'm here for them. See, you gotta, you gotta choose what seat are you gonna sit in tonight? What, what seat are you sitting in? You sitting in Levi's seat? Sitting in the seat of a sinner? A tax collector? Or have you been around this thing long enough that you think your good works have outmatched your king's grace? Have you forgotten? See, all of humanity, the scriptures tell us, have fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. See, it's not just bad people. Listen, some of you, you were good before you found Jesus. You were good, moral, ethical, you were generous, you were compassionate, you were kind, you were a good neighbor. All of those things before you met Jesus. Good for you. Some of you were like me. <laughs> you were a hoodlum. <laughs> and if not been for Jesus, you'd be behind bars. I would have laid hands on that woman if it were not for Jesus. But let me tell you, I don't care if you were good or bad. Without Jesus, you're dead. You're dead. He came to seek and save that which was lost, to go after the sick, to go after the dead, and to raise them to new life. I want to sit in the seat that says, sign me up again, Lord. Several years ago, my wife and I, we were youth pastors in Seattle, Washington. We had taken our kids to this campground. And when, when you pick campgrounds as a youth pastor, you kind of do it like a hotel, right? You pick it for all the stuff. Like, you know, when I'm picking out a hotel, me and my wife, I'm like, man, I want king size bed, extra feather pillows, cut the AC to like 62. Uh, I want to make sure there's a spa I mean, for my wife. Um, I want hot tub, jacuzzi. I want all the, what do they call those? They call them the, uh, what did you say? The amenities. 
the extras. When you pick a campground, you, you figure out all the stuff, right? The amenities, what's the extra? So we're at the campground and they got dirt bikes. And my wife's riding dirt bikes because she's adventurous. Like she's from Louisiana. She's Cajun. You know what I mean, she's like wrestling alligators and stuff. That's why I do whatever she tells me to do. All right. Yes, ma'am. But, but Pastor Johnny, we're, we're, they're riding dirt bikes. I was going to say we. I, I, I don't mess with those. Uh, but she's riding dirt bikes with these girls. And she goes around this turn and she's trying to check on this other girl. And one of the teenagers runs her dirt bike around and slides the dirt bike into my wife's leg. Well, my wife's so concerned about the girl feeling bad. She's like, it's fine. She rides around again. I'm walking by and she goes, babe, my legs hurt. I said, hey, you, you better not be hurt. We're going to Hawaii next week, okay? She's like, no, babe, really, just come look. I think I bruised it. And I was like, okay. And so I get over there and she pulls her pants leg up. And when she pulls her pants leg up, my reaction immediately was, Some of y'all think preachers tell stories sometimes. This real talk. I'm like, uh, babe, there's stuff from inside your leg that's outside your leg and it's on the ground. I'm in shock. I'm going, what do we do? I, I, I scream, help! <laughs> Somebody goes and gets a vehicle. They, they, they fly up around and they put Brit in the vehicle and we, we swing by the nurse's station. We get the nurse and the nurse is like, you know, Britt's like, put gauze in it, wrap it around. We find out later that, that it was just little bitty increments and measurements away from her artery in her leg. Wow. That it gashed it open. You know what we did? I immediately figured out what was the nearest, not hotel, not place with amenities. Wasn't worried about spas. Wasn't worried about what it would look like or feel like. I needed somewhere that could help my wife because she was in an emergency and she needed a doctor. I found the nearest hospital. We ran in there. I said, you got to help my wife right now. Got her back to the ER. Physician came in and began to stitch her up. James, what does that have to do with the open table? Because it's to remind you and I what this is all about. <sighs> May our hearts be convicted if the place we worship ever becomes a hotel. That you come based on what primary care physician happens to be on stage that day. That you come based on who's leading worship or what kind of kids activities. This isn't a hotel for saints, it's a hospital for sinners. And I got news for you tonight. There's people in Orlando that their marriages are broken, their family is dying, addiction is gripping them, and they are looking for a hospital to bring the sick to. Would we, faith, be that hospital? that says our doors are open rush right in you ain't gotta fake it you ain't gotta shake it I know the healer he is Jehovah Rapha he is Jehovah El Shaddai he is Jehovah Shalom I know him because he met me here too oh he's a healer oh that's what this is all about listen you can say standing, I was, I was in worship and I looked at Pastor John and said, that, that, there's baptisms up there, where are those? He says, out there, uh, Jake, you gotta take me out there, I gotta see it. While we're worshiping, people are going public with their faith. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I, I, I know you see it every week. Can I be a tour guide? Don't let the familiar rob you of faith. 
Oh, don't let it become common. What's happening in this place and through this church is an experience that is unprecedented. You're not waiting on revival. You are in revival. I have come to announce that this will be a city on a hill. This is a light to the community. Let's continue to be a people who say we're ready. Send us from the north, the southeast, and the west. God, send us the people who are hurting and broken. We'll welcome them, we'll bring them in. We won't shame them or judge them for being sick. We'll remember that you saved us there too. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Faith Assembly podcast. Thank you for joining us in pursuit of growing closer to Christ. Stay tuned for more messages released every week. God bless.